Well, good evening. Amen. And it's good to be back in the house of the Lord here tonight as we open up His Word. And um, I'm going to be talking tonight on a topic that uh, I've been really sensitive to lately. And um, I'm going to tell you why, and I'm sure I'll get some chuckles. I'm talking about learning to love discipline. And here's something I've realized recently, and everyone who's a parent realizes this about human nature. From the moment you are born, you are hardwired to kill pain and pursue pleasure. The moment that you're taken out of that warm womb into a cold and mysterious world, you start hearing the screams from the top of their lungs, wanting to be swaddled, wanting to be cared for. It's something I've always been aware of, but now I'm aware of it more than I've ever been. Uh, That's human nature. It is human nature for every human being to kill pain and pursue pleasure. It's part of how we're wired. But as we grow as human beings, we begin to understand the difference between instantaneous gratification and delayed gratification. That there are things that we could not pursue, even though that would be instantaneous pleasure, And it would be sacrificial not to pursue it on the front end, but a greater and lasting joy in the long run. Those are things that we can only understand as we continue to grow into the the image and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I know in some ways I'm I'm preaching to the choir, you know, talking about discipline on a Sunday night when you have disciplined yourselves to be here to hear the preaching of the Word of God. But let this message be an encouragement to you to continue to be a man or a woman of discipline. So... When I talk about discipline, (coughs) what areas of discipline am I talking about? Well, there's four uh, specifically that we could talk about. There's parental discipline. Again, those of you who are parents or grandparents, you know this discipline well, and, and most of you have moved on from this stage, but you know what? Parental discipline is also when our Heavenly Father disciplines us. And until we meet Jesus Christ, we are still under the discipline of God. Everything that we say, think, and do has consequences. We said this morning that it's not that we lose our salvation. That is secure. It was earned by Christ. You can't lose what you didn't earn, but there's still consequences for everything that we say, think, and do on a daily basis, and God is still in the disciplining business. As my friend Jim in Rocky Ford always says, Bobo, God is still in a spanking business, and I've been spanked a few times, and it's not pleasant. But not only is there parental discipline, there's peer discipline. There's, there's brothers and sisters in Christ who come alongside you And when they see something in your life that doesn't line up with the Christian life, uh, you're going down a direction and a path that maybe is not honoring to God or could be harmful to you or to your family, there's a time of of a correct way of approaching it where someone who loves you can stop you and say, brother or sister, I've got to warn you, I don't agree with the step that you're taking here. You could really hurt yourself or hurt others. And uh, all of us should be open to peer discipline. We should allow brothers and sisters to speak into our lives. It's not easy. All right, as a, as a pastor, only since August, I've had many people offer up advice. Some of it's been good, some of it not so good, to be honest with you. But I need to be open to all of it. It's the only way I'm going to grow, right? It's the only way that I'm going to grow. I need to put myself under the discipline of others as I ask them to put themselves under my discipline as their spiritual superior as the pastor, um, as the shepherd. So there's parental discipline. There's peer discipline. There's also church discipline. And I'm not going to talk too much about this tonight. I think next year kind of like what we're doing this, this uh, next four weeks with uh, a study on a doctrine. Okay, this, the next four weeks are studying at the doctrine of confession. Maybe next year we'll study the doctrine of church discipline because I think it's a lost doctrine that needs to be taught because I don't think many churches have done it since the 40s and early 50s. But <coughs> church discipline, 
<coughs> is still something that God calls the body of Christ to be a part of. And the reason why is God cares about the purity of the church every bit as much as He cares about the unity of the church. And there are people who will compromise the purity to try to maintain the unity, and that's not how God sees it. God has called us to be holy and set apart, and purity matters to God. So there is church discipline. I'm probably not going to focus on that a whole bunch tonight. But then there's self-discipline. And I'm going to be honest with you, this is what I've been meditating on more so than at any other time in my life. Um, God has called me into a leadership role in this season of life, and I want to be a good leader. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's a learning experience. I've taken a lot of time to improve as a communicator, as a writer and a speaker, but leading human beings is something that I have, I have a lot of learning to do. And I feel like the best way that I can learn and grow is to be disciplined in how it is that I'm learning and growing, in the books that I'm reading, in the people that I'm spending time with, in the, in the reflection that I, I spend each week and looking at some of the decisions I've made and said, you know, was that good or was that not good? Could I do more here? Could I do better outreach here? Could I explain this better? So self-discipline is probably what I'm going to be talking about mostly tonight, although all aspects will be covered in some point. But I want to challenge everybody in this room to consider uh, the self-discipline that you exercise in your own lives because everyone has, whether you know it or not, your own rule of life. Now, what do I mean by rule of life? Well, uh, this is a phrase that was coined by St. Benedictine many, many, many centuries ago. He's one of the fathers of uh, monastic faith. And uh, I, I know very little about him. I'm, I'm studying a lot more about him right now. But uh, this was a man who, uh, I think in the 4th or 5th century, uh, actually went to seminary. And he was in seminary, and he felt like he just wasn't getting enough alone time with God. And he dropped out of school, and he, he went into a cave for like two or three years. And in the midst of being in that cave, he came up with what he called his rule of life. Now, part of his rule of life was being a part of a community. All right, so his isolation in the cave was for a time. He, doesn't, he didn't believe that people should be in isolation, that we should be together as a community. But he came up with these the several rules of order as guardrails to have people pursue God consistently throughout the course of each and every day. And what I love about this concept is we don't have to be monastics. We don't have to be professional theologians. or I mean, we don't have to, we don't have to live in a monastery to live a more disciplined spiritual life. All right? We just have to be consistent, and we have, to, we have to be intentional about what it is that we're doing. And that's exactly what St. Benedict was teaching about his rule of life. Now, one of the things that I love so much about it, he said the purpose of a rule of order, uh, which for him, and again, he takes it to a drastic measure. None of us in this room are monks, so we probably don't have the time to be able to pray seven times a day. But he would pray through certain psalms. They would pray through the entire Psalter in 30 days. They would meet for prayer uh, for certain segments throughout the day, and then they'd break and do their work. And they, were, they believed in manual labor, hard work, the sweat of the brow. But he said that discipline was to safeguard God's love. This is not legalism. We're not doing this to earn favor from God. We're doing this so that we can have more of God. We're waking up in the morning, and we're intentionally saying... To grow in my faith, I'm going to intentionally do these things today. And you all do this at some aspect of your life. You know, your rule of life may be spontaneity. It may be no rule at all. You may wake up in the morning with no to-do list, and you just go to work, and you see what problems come at you. And I've adapted that theory from time to time, and it never really works out that well. I think the best thing that we can do is to have a rule of life, to have a plan, but also to be flexible as things change and move 
and, and let the plan move as the situation moves as well. But if we're not intentional about the way that we live, if we're not self-disciplined, then we're going to hit a brick wall when it comes to our faith. We're going to hit a brick wall when it comes to our personal relationship with God. And that goes for everything <coughs> that's worth having. Think about the, they say it takes 10,000 hours to master a craft. Uh, Brother Monty, you were talking to me this morning about writing. You said that you were once a good writer, but you haven't really done it. Well, one thing I have no skill in whatsoever is being a pianist because I just have never put the time in. But you can sit down and just all of a sudden just start tickling the ivories because it's second nature because you've put thousands and thousands and thousands of hours in. You've become disciplined with a gift. It's the same way with our spiritual lives. Reading the Bible is not something that comes naturally. Prayer is not something that comes naturally. It is hard. Even reading in general. My, my generation, is it, we're, we're becoming less and less literate every single day. And, and the fact of the matter is, I forget who it was that said reading is a difficult pleasure. And it is. You have to be disciplined. Um, there are days that I get home and I know that I should be reading and, and growing in my understanding and in my faith. But you know what I want to do? I want to sit in my recliner and watch American Pickers for the next three hours. And sometimes that's not wrong. All right, sometimes your brain needs to decompress, but probably not as much as I do spend watching some things that don't have eternal value. So how do we grow in this discipline? Because again, by our nature, we are ones that kill pain and pursue pleasure, and discipline calls us to avoid the pleasure and pursue pain in the short term. All right, so how do we do that? Well, I think we do it by learning to love discipline because we know what it produces, because we know what it produces. I believe that a life centered on becoming more like Jesus Christ is a life of uh, discipline because Jesus himself was a man of discipline. Jesus is the only one who could say, I only do what the Father tells me to do. That's discipline. And let me say this. Jesus was tempted in every way that we were yet without sin. So it's not to say, well, he was so close to the Father because he himself was God, so it wasn't really temptation for him to sin. Well, yes and no. All right, let me say... The best way that I can explain sin when it comes to Jesus Christ is this. Jesus was tempted in every way that we were, all right? During a time of fasting, he was hungry like we're hungry. He was thirsty like we're thirsty. During times where he was misrepresented, he wanted to be avenged just like everybody else does. But at the same time, we have to understand something about the Lord Jesus Christ. He was about the Father's business. That was his number one goal. Jesus Christ came for one thing. He was about the Father's business. And because of that, could he have sinned? Yes. But it would repel against his nature so much that he could actually physically commit sin, but, it, but he actually couldn't at the same time. So let me just say, let me give you an example. Could you legitimately shoot your child with a gun? Physically, you could actually do it, but it'd be repulsive to your nature to such a degree to pull that trigger. You could do it, actually do it, but... It's against your nature. You couldn't bring yourself to do it. And I believe that's the way we should look at sin when it comes to Christ. He was legitimately tempted. But his nature was so repulsed by sin that he could not actually bring himself to sin. And and part of the thing is, he was disciplined. Now, he was fully God, fully man. But we walked through Mark and we've looked at his discipline as far as devotional time with God, being squarely focused on the mission the Father sent him to do. And he had, to, he had to certainly say no to a lot of good things to pursue what's best. Think about this. I'm 36 years old. Jesus died, most historians believe, at 33. 
So three years ago would have been the time I hit the Jesus age. And he is still the most talked about person in human history. Now, I happen to think one of the reasons for that is that he himself is God. And what he did, no one else has even come close to doing. It's, it's a miracle that we should never get over. That, G, that God would become a man to live the way we should have lived and die the death that we deserve and rising from the dead, offering us the gift of, of eternal life. But at the same time, think about all that he accomplished in just three years of public ministry. I mean, I think about where I hope to be in three years as the pastor of this church, and um, I'd be a lot further along if my attitude was the same as Jesus, that I only do what the Father tells me to do, and that's my goal, but I'm going to be honest with you, there's times that I'm probably doing what Bo wants to do and not necessarily what the Father wants to do, but I'm trying to be more disciplined. I'm trying to move in that direction, and I pray that we have the same heart for that as well. So, having said that, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 12. I won't keep you on your feet for long. We're going to read just one verse. But if you would stand, uh, we'll be read uh, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1, where we can learn about how to learn to love discipline. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. And again, we thank you and praise you for this day. Uh, Father, <coughs> we thank you for your son. And we thank you that he disciplined himself, humbled himself to death, even death upon a cross. And Father, we're called to follow him, to take up our cross and follow him. And that's going to call us to be disciplined, to even give up things that are good to pursue what is best. Help us in this hour, Father. Help us to understand maybe areas that we could be more self-disciplined that we could be more open to loving correction and reproof from you and from others and even from ourselves as we seek to become more like Christ. Uh, be with us at this time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so, you know, something very interesting that I've been reading a lot on in the past year is the Christian view of happiness. I said in the beginning of the message that... Um, we are wired to kill pain and pursue pleasure. And I want to take that a step further before we go into the first point and say, there is nothing that any human being can possibly do that is not motivated by their happiness. Even those who commit suicide are doing it because they think being relieved of the situation they're in will bring them more happiness than remaining where they're at. Human beings cannot avoid pursuing happiness. So it's not wrong to pursue happiness. But the fact of the matter is, if God had created us for a specific purpose, then we need to understand the type of happiness that we should be pursuing. And the argument that I think a lot of theologians make that we need to be aware of is God is more concerned with our holiness than our happiness. And the great thing about this is if you, if you aim for holiness, you get happiness thrown in for free. If you aim for happiness, you don't get either one. You know, think, I mean... This, this shows up in everybody's life. Even non-Christians can admit this. I mean, think about uh, diets and exercise programs. Everyone in this room, uh, if, if you're not happy with what the scale says when you stand on it, you're not probably ignorant to how it is you could improve that situation. I'm well aware that I am extremely overweight for my height. The doctor had reminded me of that the other day. I was very grateful for that. All right? But you know what? I'm not in the dark about how I can change it. I'm struggling to become more disciplined to take the right steps, and I'm asking for God's help. I need to exercise more. 
I need, to, I need to cut back my portion sizes. I need to decide what days that I can kind of slip up and have a treat and some days that I've got to watch uh, calories. And, and, and you know what? I'm never going to be a calorie counter, but I want to be more consistent. I want to have more energy so I can do the work that God's called me to do. So when it comes to, <coughs> to discipline, <coughs> all of us know in every area of life, there's areas where we commit up front to what is hard, and in the back end, we can enjoy what is best. So... Think about Jesus in this light before we go to our first point. Hebrews 12.2 says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So what kept Jesus on that cross? All right, When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was crying out to the Father, and he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And the Father said, Nope, sorry, this is why I sent you. And Jesus said, okay, if this is what the Father's will is, I'm going I'm to continue this till the end. And then when he was on the cross, people are crying out to him, why don't you call a legion of angels you know, to save you? you, could, you know, if, if, you're the, if you're the son of man, take yourself down from that cross. Uh, I mean, they're just crying these things out to him. And he's well aware that he has the power to take himself off the cross at any time. How was he able to stay disciplined? It was the Hebrews verse says, it was the joy that was set before him. He was focused on the fruit that the discipline would bear. And when it comes to the Christian life, I think where we struggle is we look at the Christian life as a set of do's and don'ts, but we we should look at it as a set of if you're willing to sacrifice for Jesus here, you can really enjoy some fruit here. It's okay to be motivated by reward. Everything we do is motivated by some type of reward. I want to, to be rewarded by God for faithfulness. I don't think that's wrong. But I need to keep my eyes focused on the, on the joy of being rewarded by a, a father who's pleased with me when I'm asked to do something that I don't necessarily want to do. That's discipline. And so we we, we got to not look at the Christian life so much as a list of do's and don'ts, but a list of if we're willing to sacrifice right here, we can enjoy this fruit right here. We need to look forward to what discipline will produce. And what will it produce? Well, the first of the three things that I want to share with you tonight is this. Number one, learn to love discipline because it builds your character. Learn to love discipline because it builds your character. Let me share a bunch of of scripture with you. So Hebrews 12, again, the same chapter, verses 5 through 6. Here's what it says. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. I can tell you specific times in my life where somebody, God allowed something to happen in my life that, that cut me pretty deep, and when I took some time in reflection, I really believe that God enabled that to happen to bring me into correction for something I wasn't doing correctly. And that hurts, but it also says that God loves me, and he's got a purpose. I, I should not expect, as certainly as someone that God has put in a leadership role in his house, that God's not going to correct me, all right? I'm, I'm the under-shepherd, but he's the good shepherd, And he needs to correct me before I can go and lead anybody else. But that's the same for all of us. He's our heavenly father, and until you take your final breath, God is still in the spanking business. But if you're enduring a trial, and there are trials that maybe you didn't do anything wrong, and sometimes we can drive ourselves nuts trying to figure out why something happened. I'm not promoting that. I'm not saying that you need to seek everything in prayer and say, God, tell me specifically why this happened. Because God is not obliged to do that. Most times I don't think he does. But I will say this, there's purpose in all of it. You have God's active will, things that he makes happen, and then God's permissive will, 
things that he allows to happen. God's not the author of sin, but he'll allow it to happen for reasons that I can't fathom. And so I'm just going to continue to say that he is good and say that at the end of time I'll understand it a lot more than I understand it now. So that's Hebrews 12. Well, further on in the same passage, Hebrews 12:11 says this, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And how about Revelation chapter 3, verse 19? Okay, Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Be zealous for the discipline of the Lord. As he is showing you areas of your life that you can repent of, be zealous to repent of them. Be zealous to repent of them. And finally, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, this is more about the, uh, the human father in, in a relationship with the child. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your child, children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As the Lord disciplines us, we discipline them. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here. I've been a father for all of two weeks. I'm going to need your help with this. But you're also grandparents. All right? God still puts you in a leadership role, and there's discipline to be had there. And God's also put you in leadership roles in this church where God's called you to make tough, tough decisions. So we need, we need to learn to love discipline because it builds our character. It makes us more like Jesus Christ. If God is convicting us that the thing that we said or the things that we thought or the things that we did did not completely glorify him, we need to stop and say, what do I need to do to make sure I don't do that again? You know, I... Um, I've used this example before. I don't know if I've used it on a Sunday morning, but I love this il- illustration. I'll probably pull this out of this, the chest every once in a while. But uh, stop. I, I probably have said it, but it's good to hear this. It'll be good for you. So in Colorado, all right, they have buffalo and they have uh, cattle. And the buffalo and the cattle live amongst the, each other on the plains. And typically in Colorado, the, wet, the storms come in from the west and they start heading east. And the buffalo have a completely different reaction to the storm than the cattle do. When the buffalo see a storm coming on the horizon, for whatever reason, they run right into the storm because as the storm's going this way and they're running this way, they spend the least amount of time in the storm because they're willing to face it head on. The cattle, on the other hand, they're not very swift of feet to begin with, but they try to outrun the storm. And typically the storm will move at the same pace that they run and it will remain over them for a long duration of time because they're not willing to face it. They're trying to run away from it. And I think as human beings, we do the same thing. We know things that we should be doing in our lives, but we're just not willing to do them. Can I tell you just a real simple word of application as far as things that I know I should do that I don't do? Here's something real simple. The earlier I go to bed, the earlier I wake up. And the earlier I wake up, the more time I spend with God. It is almost 100% every single time. But it's like Jerry Seinfeld once said, there's night guy and there's morning guy. And the night guy always ruins things for the morning guy. The night, you know, the night version of Bobo tells me, you need to watch all three episodes of SportsCenter because there's a highlight you may not have seen yet. All right, You need to watch all three episodes of American Pickers because you don't know what they found in that shed. You need to watch three episodes of Property Brothers because they got a whole new list of houses they're refinishing. Don't miss this. If you're asleep, you're going to miss this. And then the first thing I think about every morning that alarm goes off is, well, that was a waste of time last night. Why exactly did I do that? And, and the few times, that, you know, my goal is to come into the office before 6 a.m. 
And I'm, I'm successful in that about 50% of the time. And when I do, I feel great. I feel engaged in the Word. Um, I've had wonderful time at discipleship with a few people in this church, and it's just been awesome. I love it. But every time I do, I tell, I tell myself, why don't I do this all the time? Because my flesh still rebels against it. Because I want to pursue instantaneous gratification instead of the delayed gratification that says, the earlier I go to bed, the better chance I have of spending quality time with God before the phone starts ringing tomorrow morning. And the more that we spend the time with the Lord, it's not some checklist where God pats us on the back. We're just spending more time with the person that we love, and we get to know him even better. And the more that we know God, the more joy that brings to our life. He is the source of all good things. He's the source of all good things. So we need, we need to learn to love discipline because it builds our character. Well, <coughs> number two. <coughs> Whew, I hope I can get through this. Number two, learn to love discipline because it sets your boundaries. Because it sets your boundaries. God is not a killjoy. Most people struggle to come to the Christian life because they think that all we want to do is rain on everybody else's parade. Kenny Chesney says, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. Well, if Kenny Chesney knew what was happening in heaven right now, he'd feel pretty silly to write those lyrics. God's the fountain of all joy. He really is. He's good. There's nothing better than living in his will. There isn't. There is not. There's sacrifice, but it leads to joy. And so what does discipline do? It sets boundaries for us. So a couple of passages in Proverbs to help us understand this. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23 says this. For the commandment is a lamp and a teaching, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. So they are a lamp. They're guiding us. There are these guideposts that keep us to go from going too far to the left and too far to the right. That's what a rule of life is. They're guardrails. God's not trying to box you in. He's trying to give you safety and protection. And think about this for a moment. Don't we do the same thing with kids at Awana? Brother Ronnie gets here, uh, you know, 3, 4 o'clock every Wednesday, and he puts the ropes out. And then we have them in the playground, and we're, they're fenced in. Why? Do we want to punish them and torture them and limit the amount of fun they can have? No, we want to provide them with safe boundaries so that they can enjoy and flourish the way they were intended to with proper boundaries. We need to think of the Christian life the exact same way. God is a God of discipline. And when he disciplines us, he does it to give us safe boundaries. He does it to give us safe boundaries. Let me share another proverb. This is a famous one. Most of you have this committed to memory. Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. What are you trying to do? Just be a lecturer or a dictator? No. You're trying to set discipline and boundaries that they will respect later in life. And then Proverbs 29.15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. This is a big one. Having spent a lot of time with teenagers, to try to explain to them that allowing them to do whatever they want to do is going to lead to absolute chaos and pain, they can't possibly fathom that. All they can think of is, as soon as I got out of high school and I've got a $30,000 Z71 on the road, I can get whatever job I want, I can live wherever I want, I can date whoever I want, do whatever I want, and all of a sudden, life smacks him right in the face. Because it is not loving for God to just let us loose and do whatever we want to do. 
All right, that, that may seem like freedom, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but that's not freedom, that's bondage to our sinful nature. Freedom comes with the discipline, not with the lack of discipline. Because if, if you're just living for whatever it is that you desire, you're a slave to your own desires. But if you're a slave to Jesus Christ, boy, that brings freedom. Because God created you. And he knows exactly what will bring the highest amount of joy in your life because he wired you for a specific purpose. And that leads me to my third and final point. Learn to love discipline because it preserves your freedom. It preserves your freedom. Think about this for a moment. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 29. It says, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. This goes back to what I said in the beginning of the message. And <laughs> human beings are considered masters of their craft if they've spent 10,000 hours doing a certain thing. If you've spent 10,000 hours, you're considered a master of that craft. And God is saying, I've uniquely gifted you to be a master of something as long as you come under the master himself, the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that brings freedom. Again, it goes back to what I just said a moment ago. And the young ones, they, they, just, they, have a, they struggle with this. I struggle with this, all right, when I first got out of high school. If I'm just being honest with you, you know, my mother was a very strict disciplinarian, but when I turned 17, she kind of just let the, let the rope go. And uh, she let me do whatever I wanted to do, and I took full advantage of that. I wasn't a Christian, and I had a live-in girlfriend for several months. I didn't, had no conviction over it. I didn't have the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you something, though? I knew what I was doing wasn't quite right, and, I, I, and in the back of my mind, I would always wonder, why does my mom let me do this? Nobody else's mom's letting them do this. Why is my mom letting me do this? Children don't know that they need discipline, but they do. But, but, but I want to say to all of us in this room, let's not forget we need it too. We need to be open to the Father disciplining us, our peers disciplining us, the church disciplining us, and then for our purposes here in the conclusion, us disciplining ourselves to living according to guardrails that keep us safe from veering too far to the left or too far to the right. Now, here's the thing. That's going to look different for every single person, all right? But it's still something that I think we should pursue, and I'll say a few words of that before we pray out here. But um, let me just go to our conclusion, and then we'll kind of walk through some points of application. Our conclusion is this. As you learn to love the discipline of Christ, you will also learn to love living in the knowledge of Christ. As you learn to love the discipline of Christ, you will also learn to love living in the knowledge of Christ. So what do I mean by that? Well, the first thing that I want to say is when I talk about discipline, whether it be self-discipline, let's just focus on that for a minute. I want us all to think about ways that we can go home and try to self-discipline ourselves to be more active in the spiritual disciplines of reading Scripture and prayer and service and all of those things. And I'm not telling you how to do it. I'm going to share with you maybe some techniques that you may want to consider. But what I am saying is this. Consider it an important thing to do. And as you do it, don't think of it as an obligation that is difficult. Continue to meditate on the fruit that will come with it. That is how people who hit a treadmill when they're 150 pounds overweight, that's how they lose the weight. They're not thinking about how much pain they're in. They're constantly focused on the end goal. It's the same thing with the Christian life. I want to be a person who can be dependent upon. Be dependent upon. I, want, I want to be a spiritual leader, and I'm, I'm getting there, but I'm not there, and I, I know there are disciplines that God wants me to undertake to sit under his word and to pray 
and to serve and to intercede and sometimes maybe to fast for a season as I pray because I know it's not a checklist where God rewards us. It is simply a list of things that we can do to put us in the best possible position to be recipients of his grace, to be recipients of his grace. I've always used this example. we got golfers in here. The golf club does the work. You physically cannot muscle a golf ball 300 yards. But if you've got a good golf club and you're putting the club head right where it needs to be and you're making good contact, you're not hooking or slicing the ball, and you're practicing over and over and over and over again, you're putting yourself in the best possible position to let the club do the work. God wants to do the same work in your life, but if you don't put yourself, if you don't discipline yourself to be in the position for God to do it, then you're limiting what God can do in your life. How can God bring to mind a, a word from his scriptures at a situation in life where you need it the most if you've not read and not planted that word in your heart that you might not sin against him? How is it that we can pray when prayer is so hard? Well, we've got to keep praying. We've got to keep praying. You know, Paul says in the scriptures, labor with me in prayer. You know why he says that? Because it's hard. Prayer is difficult. I don't know someone who, who thinks it's an easy thing. It's just we are wired to want to communicate with people that we hear immediate feedback from. And so as much as I love to talk, I don't really love to pray because I hear silence. But boy, there have been these rare moments where God has spoke to me in a still small whisper or he's spoken to me through his word and it has set my soul ablaze. And I want to experience more of that. And to have that, I've got to be disciplined. And so, what discipline am I calling us to today? Here's just a a word as we close. I believe that in a crazy life that we live, and and most of you are probably well into these routines by now, uh, to come up with a holy morning and evening routine. And more so a morning routine because the evening can change from time to time. But the the people who consistently discipline themselves to grow in the image of Jesus Christ through prayer and through Bible reading, you know what they do? They have a routine that is almost unshakable. They don't have to think about when they wake up where they're going. They've got a Bible and a place to read it and things to pray for. All right, if you don't know what to pray for on a given day, something my pastor in North Carolina taught me that I've implemented is I pray for something different every day. So Monday is a, is a prayer for personal renewal and forgiveness. And two, uh, the second day is a prayer for family and friends. And three is, is prayers for this church and every ministry uh, that I've been involved with. And then there's a whole day I pray for Ashley. And then I pray for um, our city, our state, our nation, and our world. I pray for institutions. I pray for schools that I've been a part of. And, and I'm, not <coughs> I'm not saying... <coughs> through the course of the day that I'm not praying other things, but consistently every morning, I already wake up knowing i got a prayer group to pray for. Now, interest of full disclosure, I'm moving in the right direction, but I still drop the ball on this. But I, I want to keep trying. I want to keep trying. The night before, if I know what I'm going to pray for and I know what scripture I'm going to read, it exponentially increases my odds of actually doing it. You know, it's, it's the funniest thing. I remember years ago, someone saying to me, it'll be a lot easier to get out of bed if you lay your clothes out before you go to sleep, what you're going to wear the next day. Because every decision that you make has willpower in it. And if we, the more decisions that we can make the night before, the less willpower it's going to take for us to try to make those decisions in the morning when we're still foggy-eyed. So let me just give you a point of practical application. If you've struggled to pray and read the scriptures, commit to a small chunk of time, okay, where you're going to pray for a specific group, 
and you're going to read a specific passage. If you need a Bible reading plan, I've got, I've got ones you haven't even dreamed of. All right, I've got a chronological Bible reading plan. I've got three readings a day plan. I've got a uh, church calendar reading plan where you read according to all the events of the church calendar throughout the year. Um, I've got certain plans that allow you to read four different times a day. One that reads Old Testament in the morning, Psalm in the afternoon, and New Testament in the evening. Or just a simple one passage a day gets you through the whole Bible in a year. It would be my honor to print out one for you if you're looking for one. Uh, But whatever the case may be, make it a commitment. Let's be people of discipline. All right, I know, again, I'm preaching to the choir because on a Sunday night there's a lot of places you could be right now, but you're here. All right, so you've already disciplined yourself more than most. But make it a commitment. And, And I would recommend make that commitment first thing in the morning. Have an unshakable morning routine before the world starts to get your attention. All right, if you absolutely cannot function in the morning, and there are people who cannot think clearly in the morning, those are the rare night owls, then have an unshakable evening routine before you go to bed. But whatever the case may be, our spiritual growth doesn't just happen. It doesn't. Just like our physical bodies. We don't just lose weight without trying. We've got to play an active role. And God does the work inside of us. It's the work of God. But we play an active role by the way that we submit to him to let him do his work. Let us be people of discipline. Let us be people of discipline. And as we seek the discipline of God, let us remember that it builds our character, that it sets our boundaries, and that it preserves our freedom. And having said that, let us pray together. Father, again, we love you. And we confess Christian life is hard. Really hard. And Father, we we see all over your word that discipline is a gift if it's done correctly. Not legalistically. uh, Not to try to earn rewards, but just to to earn more of, of your sweet presence. So help us, Father. Help us to be people of discipline in the way that we read your word, in the way that we pray, in the way that we serve others, in the way that we consider what you're trying to teach us in our lives. Father, help us. We know that discipline is a good thing. Help us to learn to love it and to have an appropriate amount of it, Father, because some of the people in this room, maybe myself included, go too far in the other direction from time to time, and we make up more rules than we should. Help us. Help us to grow. You may be made more in the image of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. God's people said, amen.